0: Hello and welcome to Got Punctum. I am Jay Sibylla Smith. I collaborate with artists and photographers and related institutions as a curator, educator, and consultant. My mission is to illuminate, elevate, and amplify the work of contemporary photographers. I created this podcast to contribute to the global visual culture conversation. Thank you for joining us. Please connect with me on other social media platforms, including Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn at J Visit my website, jsybillasmith.com, for an outline of the specific services I offer. I use all these platforms to share resources. Today, I am excited to be in conversation with Russet Letterman of 10x10 Photobooks and Boston Athenaeum curator Lauren Graves. We discuss two essential anthologies of photobooks by women published by 10x10 Photobooks, and we discuss the recent reading room in collaboration with the Boston Athenaeum. Today, we share noteworthy books, we talk of the evolving definition of what constitutes a photo book, and we herald the many women whose voices have been historically overlooked. I have attended four collaborative reading rooms in two different countries, and I continue to discover so many treasures. We are so glad you're here. Let's begin. I am excited to have Russett, Letterman, and Lauren Graves on with me today to discuss women and women photo books. Um, One of the things is Russet is part of 10 by 10 photo books and Lauren Graves is the Polly T. Thayer Star Fellow in American Art and Culture at the Boston Athenaeum and I had the opportunity to work with both of them at a recent reading room, a very successful one. So I'm going to give a little frame about the background of what we'll be talking about. Um, Anna Atkins, her three-volume Photography of British Algae, Cyanotype Impressions, which was from 1843 to 1853, is widely recognized as the first photo book, with some debate from Martin Parr and Jerry Badger. However, if we explore the current placement of photo books by women, we do not have parody, gender parody. 10 by 10 photo books focused on this issue and has brought forth two incredible books and a host of international programming to address this discrepancy. The first book, How We See, grew from their research on the representation of photo books by women within, quote, more celebrated sectors of photo book publishing, distribution, and competitions. They found the percentages were strikingly low when they looked at photo book prizes won by women, the women photo books that are part of what are books on books or photo anthologies, and when looking in established publishers' inventories. They discovered there are both underdocumented and unknown photo books that we need to find, explore, and share. How We See showcases 200 photo books by women chosen from a geographically inclusive group of 10 female photo experts. The book offers its own hands-on exploration, a reading room of sorts. It is a book on books and 10 by 10 has initiated salons to discuss the photo book. All these efforts are to expand our knowledge, to foster research and to initiate further discovery with the goal of equity, a more telling or a more true telling of all the stories of our human experience. So 100 books are featured with a short explanation by an expert and it's followed by a reference guide of more than 100 books that were gathered from a wider group of curators, historians and librarians. I'm going to quote a few key pieces from this book before we open up for discussion. I love what Leslie A. Martin reflected. It's both what she says in How We See, but it also, in my mind, reflects the book as well as as 10 by 10's mission. And she says, quote, these books or books offer a richer history of the medium and a more open embrace of its possibilities. It's rendered book by book. And Leslie also included Ursula Le Guin's quote from a commencement speech at Bryn Mawr that I want to share. Quote, when women speak truly, they speak subversively. They can't help it. If you're underneath, if you're kept down, you break out, you subvert. We are volcanoes. When we offer our experience as truth, as human truth, all the maps change. And there's just two other pieces I'm going to bring out. Amanda Ling Ming Lo describes how books cover visual narratives that straddle realms between the abstract and the real, private and public, and kitsch and authentic. They offer graphic detail of intimacy and the female body. And lastly, Misa Susuda noted her selection in the book represents books by women specifically for their formidable ability to articulate an independent worldview through photography. So, I would love to talk with both of you about Initially, how we see in the first book about women photo books that really opens up the whole issue of what is a photo book and where are all the photo books? Because we know they're there. Anna Atkins was at the beginning. So thank you for letting me give that background. I'd love to jump in, perhaps Russett. Tell us of how it was for you in the making of this book and what stands out now that it's behind you.
1: Uh, Thank you so much, uh, Sibla, for inviting me. Um, I edit uh, 10 by 10 books with Olga Yitzkavich, mm-hmm. um, who has been my partner since uh, 2012, when we first started 10 by 10 photo books, mm-hmm. which is an organization that has a mission to um, support the global photo book community. And one of our largest missions is to uh, make visible those stories that have been invisible for many years. And we've worked on anthologies and reading rooms that cover Japanese photo books, um, lesser known independent published American photo books, and Latin American photo books. And uh, how we see is our fourth anthology and fourth touring reading room. And what we did was um, we kept seeing that there were Many women who we uh, encountered through our salon programs and uh, at photo book fairs as publishers or as makers of photo books. But when we went to the main anthologies that had been published since um, 1999, with the first photo book anthology being Photographica Publica, which was done by Fernando Hernandez and was a show at the Rena Sofia Museum in Madrid, we then found in those books, including uh, the Badger Parr, uh, the photo book, A History, as well as Andrew Ross, um, the photo book, uh, A Seminole, uh, uh, 101 seminal Photo Books, that there were very few women represented as entries in those books. There was only 10.5% of the books on photo books had women uh, entries in them. And then, as you mentioned, uh, bookseller inventory, we undertook some statistical analysis, and we found only 16.2% of the books offered in bookseller inventory were by women. And we thought maybe if we look at uh, first book awards and dummy awards, which are the awards that give people the first foot in the door, we'd find better numbers. And we did find in the shortlists, uh 39.5% of the um Shortlisted books were by women, but when the awards were finally given, it was only Mm 28.5%. So we felt that uh, from these statistics that we undertook uh, from 2004 to 2016, it was time for us to kind of pull out some of those uh, photo books that were out there, but were being buried uh, Mm -hmm. under uh, championing of photo books by men. And so uh, as we are called 10 by 10, we invite 10 experts to each pick 10 books, and they came from all over the world. We invited 10 experts globally, and we asked them to pick 10 books, but the books could not have uh, been published by them, or they could not have worked on them. There had to be um, no conflict of interest in their selection. And we were really pleasantly surprised to have 100 books in the project that included books from Latin America, from Africa, from uh, Eastern Europe, from the Middle East, Mm -hmm. as well as Europe and North America, as well as Australia and New Zealand. And um, uh, Lauren actually worked with us on this project because (laughs) one of the reading rooms that we held was at the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston, as well as uh, also Mass Art. And one of the brilliant ideas of Ann Havinka, the curator who's in charge of the MFA's photography department, was to have graduate students uh, present small spotlight talks on the books that were on view in the reading room where all the books could be touched and viewed by the general public and Lauren was a graduate student at Boston University at the time mm-hmm. and uh, she gave one of the reading room talks so that when we then went into our second publication on women which was on its history because many people during the touring reading room which went to France to Maison Européenne de la Photographie as well as to um, Buenos Aires, New York Public Library, um, and the Carnegie Museum uh, in Pittsburgh, uh, we were asked continuously, what about the history of women's involvements in photo books? Because how we see covered from 2000 to 2018, when it was released. And so we undertook to do that task during COVID and uh, employed uh, a number of graduate students, Lauren being one of them, to write mm-hmm. the book descriptions. And I'll, I'll leave it at that. And uh, <laughs> if you want to add more, Sibla, in terms of your uh, observations well, on how
0: we see or questions you might have. Sure. Okay. I think, um, well, it's interesting. I think I want to ask Lauren, when do you remember those reading rooms in terms of what was your spotlight interest? What did you want to talk about? What were you studying?
2: Sure. Um, so, so yeah, I was,
0: I was really, I was
2: a graduate student at Boston university. I think I was actually working on my dissertation prospectus at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, and my dissertation and and focused on my work is, um, new deal era photographs. So like the 1930s for the most part. Um, but then, um, I was asked by my advisor, Kim Sichel and also the academic programming, um, uh, organizer at the at the MFA, uh, Dahlia Libson, um, to, to participate in this reading room. And I was so excited to leave the 20th century um, and, <laughs> you know, move on. Um, but and I um, actually got to speak on this book, Barbara Caston's Stages. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a book of, um, I believe, cyanotypes uh, by the photographer. And it's a looks back at her earlier work but it was published more recently um and i um had actually worked as a uh intern at the ica in philly um when the the exhibition um barbara caston's exhibition was up and that's why i got to know her work and i was really looking forward to um diving in deeper um, into, into the book um was also helpful um it forced me to kind of leave BU's campus and actually visit the Harvard Art Library to look at their um copy of the book and a great experience for um thinking through kind of object-based teaching and understanding the audience uh, for um what they saw um that was going to kind of get into the book so Mm. and it was it was um a nice Um, kind of cohort of grad students supporting each other and and listening to each other talk on these books that they were so interested in. um, And also a great way to, um, it was really my first introduction um, in a museum setting, I'd say really to photo books. um, And it spurred on my interest that of course continues today. Mm -hmm.
0: And it's so interesting because you were saying what The group of graduate students and sharing your knowledge. I've actually been to four reading rooms, and every time I am, my knowledge expands the need to research. Uh, We can't uh, know all, and it's so much fun. Uh, The Spotlight Talks are really perfect at that, where you get a personal take, a reading of the book, Um, and the idea that all of our Readings are unique, and I love one of the things about books is that um, I know you have spoken about this, Russet, that the book is intimate and personal and gives you this time that you can be with your own reaction. Um, it's very different than encountering work in a museum where that's more of a public encounter. Um, I also was just... Uh, reading something where David Campany had commented on he is a big re-reader and that the book doesn't change, but we do. So when you come back to a book, it's often a different reading, um, which I think is so interesting. The pieces that I just wanted to pull out because... I learned so much in both of these books um, that I wanted to highlight. I was not aware of the early essay by Elizabeth McCausland, the, the 1943 essay on photographic books, and she literally at that point in time is talking about production values and accessible price points and distributions and some of the issues, A, that, prevented women from being able to always be a part of the, uh, more celebrated photo book publishing world. Um, and it's so interesting that she, even though she had done such a thoughtful essay, isn't commented on or led to in other anthologies. Um, I think that was a really, uh, important thing for me to learn. And I guess I think, Maybe Russet, if you could talk about how, when you started to do the research, you expanded the definition of what is a photo book.
1: Yeah, um, I'd, I'd also like to add to that issue yeah. of um, holding a book; its touchability, mm-hmm. it's it's kind of um, very intimate quality. I mean, many of the books in How We See, the first project, had that quality. They were done in small run editions; they weren't necessarily trade books. I mean, something such as a book. Um, from, uh, the Middle East, from, that was chosen by our selector who's based in Turkey, Ilgin Deniz Aksolu, And she chose a book by Amuk, uh, Mamamudian, who is from Iran. And the book comes in a little pouch, so it feels very much like an object that one would find um, in a family keepsake. And what it is, is photographs, passport photographs of Iranian women uh, wearing their head covering. And with it, she comments that because the head is covered, that oftentimes it's very hard to distinguish... Uh, the hair and other features that uh, will allow women to have a visual distinction uh, when viewing them. And so that what became part of their identity was their fingerprint within the book. So she Mm -hmm. juxtaposes these passport pages of women's passport photos with their fingerprints. Um, There were many other books that had this kind of touchable quality in how we see, and that was one of the reasons why the Reading Room, which is a hands-on experience, is so valuable, because seeing something on screen is quite different than actually holding it in your hands. Um, but to go back to this question of how we did our research and redefined the book, mm-hmm. um, I think certainly in looking at contemporary books, we see many different formats, uh, whether they be accordion, loose pages, uh, found in a little pouch, or have page sizes that are different. Um, that was less common in traditional trade books. And there was not so much independent publishing before 2000. So um, It was very expensive and very hard, as you mentioned in your earlier quote, for women to be able to publish books. So in order to kind of find books, not just in the mainstream in Europe and North America, we had to redefine a little bit what constituted a book, especially for books in the late 1900s and early 2000s, early 1900s. Because one of the things that women encountered was they didn't necessarily have access, whether it be financial or whether it be connections to publish a book. So we looked at albums, we looked at scrapbooks, um, we looked at pamphlets, and there we were able to expand. For example, Alice Lee Harris, who was a missionary mm-hmm. in Belgian Congo uh, with her husband. Uh, brought with her a small brownie Kodak camera and she started to see the atrocities that were being done to the Congolese people who were employed, or not necessarily employed, but forced into the labor, into the rubber trade by King Leopold. And she documented that and then returned to the UK sharing her photographs through presentations as well as publishing them in pamphlets that were supported by the Belgian, uh, the Congo uh, Reform Association. And so one wouldn't necessarily think that that is a book, but we did in order to be able to kind of include much uh, wider array. We also included albums, Mm -hmm. for example, an album that was produced in collaboration by a Japanese woman in 1860 named Ryushima, who worked with her husband and had a photo studio and is noted as the first Japanese woman photographer. Um, that was one of the ways that the project was able to kind of rethink the book and expand and include more women who were completely invisible as bookmakers.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, those are some of the things that just kept bouncing out, going back again to your touchability, one of the books that was highlighted is one that i I own and I am very interested in conceptual development and how you layer, just as you described with the fingerprints being the individualistic part of the book by the woman from Iran. This is the book that was noted. It's called For Bird's Sake, and it was done um, in collaboration, Semre Yassil and Maria Strum. Ironically, I met Maria when this was still in its galleys form at SPE, (laughs) And I'm going to SPE. Um, And it was wonderful when the book came out. And so this book literally is encased in a cloth cloth covering just like the bird cages that it features and when you unzip it and all the different fabric is is unique to each book but the front of the book has the holes which are also reminiscent of the bird cages and it tells the story of the keeping of birds a middle eastern practice and it goes on it's it's a fascinating book as well as the conceptual development of what it's capturing and what it's talking about. So um, there's just treasures. There's so many treasures to be found. Um, I should note also that um, uh, Chemra herself is a
1: publisher within uh, Turkey. She's based in Mm. Turkey Mm -hmm. and Maria is Romanian and she lives in Germany now. And the two of them were, uh, with that cover that you mentioned, were trying to mimic the idea of how bird cages are covered with fabric mm-hmm. oftentimes. So there, there are many kind of um, tactile qualities that you know we do see in a reading room, but we don't see when we're viewing books online, which unfortunately is more common now mm-hmm. than um,
0: being in a library. Hmm. Hmm. Exactly. The tactile, the haptic, is really important. That texture. Um. Lauren, I wanted to ask you to explain a little bit about your role and the Boston Athenaeum because it's a unique space in and of itself.
2: Oh, sure. Uh, thanks. And it's just so exciting to talk more about photo books and like <laughs> expanding what they actually are and how we can interact with them. Um. So I'm a, a a curatorial fellow at the Boston Athenaeum. Uh, I've been here for about a year and a half um, and the Athenaeum um, is a membership supported library, um, cultural center, and museum. The, we were founded in 1807 um, by a group of um, men who were interested in sharing their resources and their books um, and it sort of just catapulted from there. Um, we're located at 10 and a half Beacon Street, so across essentially from the State House, kind of in the heart of Beacon Hill. Um, and we recently um, finished a renovation and expansion project um, in November of 2022 um, that greatly expanded our footprint and also um, created new spaces um, that allowed for more kind of gathering spaces for members and for visitors um and also a new exhibition space i should mention too uh, with this renovation and expansion we um have we re- rehung our entire permanent collection on the first floor mm-hmm. um, to create a um in an exhibition entitled uh, rereading special collections and that with the aim of um telling a more inclusive his, um, history of the United States um, through focusing on a lot of our collection items um, that are worked by women as well as works by artists of color. Um, and we're constantly evolving this exhibition and our spaces to try and reflect this more kind of inclusive history, which is very much a work in process and uh, continues to be. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we are, you know, first really and foremost, a a library and a a circulating library, a borrowing library. We have about 3,600 members um, and we also participate in other kind of consortiums in the area. Um, And so when I started, um, we were really interested in thinking of ways of kind of activating our collections and rethinking a lot of our collections Mm -hmm. Um, and I should mention we have um, a circulating collection of well over 500,000 books as well as special collections so that means you know rare books photographs prints other works on paper paintings and sculpture um, that are um, you know held on site um, and kind of protected um, Mm -hmm. more so than our our circulating collections Um, and um, so yeah, so we were uh, really excited to to think through ways to utilize our spaces beyond our galleries and kind of exhibition spaces to to showcase materials and and learn more about. The, our collections, which really led to our our collaboration and, and partnership with Russet and Olga and 10x10 10 10
0: photo books. Mm-hmm. So full circle. And I mm-hmm. love that. Um, and it was fun because the the reading room at the Athenaeum brought the three of us together and then hearing about your involvement from the beginning and then being a writer for, um, what they saw. So if we, we turn to what they saw for a bit, the historical photo books by women, um, I just can't say enough about this book. Each time you look at it, you find more and it's just so rich. And I also find it's, it's helpful. I think to frame this, that it talks about what history is, right? And this idea of we're trying to do a course correction and examining negative spaces um, and being open to the fact that history is flexible and expansive and responsive. One of the things I found really interesting, um, there was a great quote from the book that says, histories here point to endless firsts. And it's true that we're gathering a lot of firsts, but I also think that um, the goal is this idea of placing women in a context with in two ways within the evolution of photography, as well as in our historical um, understanding. And I think we're at a very interesting time right now to understand. uh, I was talking on our podcast with Ben Don, and he talks about the living organism of history and how it's a living thing. And one of the interesting things I learned when going through this book is how It was broken down by periods of time and they were um, given particular, you know, chapter names like the trailblazers or the new woman or raising their voices. And they're reflective of things that are going on historically at that time. But what it points out is that there's also a lag between what's happening at a time and our ability to respond to it and then our ability to actually amplify that. So all the ways in which this book gave me very specific, amazing examples of objects and firsts and so many points of view, it also helped me understand like almost a bird's eye or a meta view of of like art history, our cultural social conversation. Um, I thought it was really interesting. And obviously we've widened, we're in the in the throes of widening that very, very much in the last, I'd say, 10 years. We have far mm-hmm. to go. Um, so if we want to talk about what they saw, um, again, Russet, if you wanna give us How this being your second anthology, you said it was because you were hearing from your reading rooms, people were curious. This seems like... um Quite an undertaking. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it is it is our our um, fifth
1: book, but our second anthology on women. And um, it certainly, I mean, history is like a rubber band for in terms of representation of women. We have moments where the, that rubber band expands, like the 70s, where mm-hmm. we saw incredible kind of uh, rewriting of history uh, about women by women. And I believe we are seeing it now at this point, too. And um, what was for me so interesting was the discoveries. I mean, Lauren wrote about the period right after World War II. And um, one of the books she wrote about was Lola Alvarez Bravo's Acapulco on El Sueno. And that is an interesting book because it was partly created as a tourist guide as a book to encourage tourism in Mexico. Um, Alvarez Bravo obviously uh, learned from her husband, Manuel Alvarez Bravo, and uh, she was a very celebrated photographer in her own right, but there was some overshadowing there uh, by her husband. And so these kinds of issues uh, continually had to be kind of teased out in what they saw of how you know a woman's voice could uh, be elevated and stand on its own. And that is a bit of this rewriting of history that we are hoping this book does. Um, you know, In South Africa, a woman named Leslie Lawson, who is part of uh, Afropix, a collaborative organization of photographers in South Africa, did a book on working women, portraits of South African black women workers. And to your point that uh, there's a delay time with books documenting uh, different events, this book shows women, black women in their work situations from the 1970s and 1980s. What I found uh, personally Uh, quite uh, strong about this book was she is not telling other people's stories. She is allowing each woman to tell their own story. There is dialogue from interviews with them. It is their voices that are elevated within the book, as well as photographs of women in uh, more uh, hands-on menial jobs such as a housekeeper or a woman who might be a lawyer. And she just shows the range of experiences in South Africa. Um, And this book, we never see in the United States. We had to uh, order books from all over the world to have Mm -hmm. them. Because it was COVID, libraries were closed, and we wanted to be able to touch the books in order to be able to talk about them. I mean, other books were from Taiwan by Wang Shin, a book called A Farewell Orchard Island from 1985. And this is a book by a young Taiwanese documentarian that shows a fading culture within an island off the coast of Taiwan. Of its indigenous people and how that culture is being overtaken by modernism. So there are so many stories. We're all storytellers. And all these books share the stories, I think, is the main point. Stories
0: that may have been buried in the past. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm also one of the things I came away with was an understanding of you had mentioned before, Russet, when independent publishing came about. Um, Part of what 's running parallel to this anthology are things like the magazine culture and the whole idea of the medium is the message right and we are keep we keep changing that and so that idea of um what happened through both photography, text, the whole magazine culture that did happen i 'd say thirties forties. 50s um, then you're looking at our educational system and there was this plethora and all of a sudden outgrowth of BFAs and mFAs and and how that then uh, kind of puts gas in the tank of the cultural visual conversation and there's so many intersecting issues um I really appreciated how the book helped me almost accordion my understanding. I mean, I happen to have a, a an obsession with the magazine <laughs> culture of the time and people like Lillian Bassman. And so I understand the import and the impact, but what I love is seeing all these other things. Like I wasn't thinking about the educational system, though we're now in it as a result of that, uh, how that has changed. Like it's an ecosystem that has so many intersecting points that both feed it. Again, like you mentioned, Russ, at the rubber band, it's like it it comes and goes, right? In terms of like we didn't have those programs, then we had those programs, now we have other programs, and how does that get absorbed into the makers and the creators um, and the distribution? Cool. I, I, and so it, it's really eye-opening how this helped me see those intersections, I think, particularly
1: in um, there were also um, formative clubs and associations, which you know, after the war, started to help women. And I, I think Lauren can speak best and should speak about. I mean, her research has been with the Photo League in in New York, and one of the books she wrote about Marion Palfi. Marion Palfey was a Photo League uh, member, so maybe you can talk, Lauren, a little bit about how the uh, social Agenda of Palfi is mm-hmm. manifest within her book uh, "Suffer, Little Children." If I'm getting yeah. the title correct,
2: yes, that's the, the right title. So sure, yes, I um, was able to write the kind of book book descriptions for um, the time period just after World War II. So I think it was um, I can't remember forty three to fifty two or something, um, um, or fifty four, ending with sort of the family of man um, and. Which was a really interesting period, um especially coming from my own research looking more into the thirties, which we know as is like kind of this golden age of photo books um and so thinking about how that world after World War two is as sort of um using the medium in different ways and so Marion kalfi um who was very involved with the photo league um in the the forties in New York um and the photo league was an organization um that came out of the film and photo league, which was started in the 1920s in New York, uh, which is based on sort of European practices and the use of photography as a way to um, advocate for certain social changes. Um, And the league, which is founded it breaks off from the Film and Photo League, which was more focused on film. Um, and then these photographers, Sid Grossman and Saul Libson, both um, immigrants to the United States, um, were uh, dedicating themselves to thinking through how photography could be used, again, as this kind of agent for social change. The League's really interesting, too, in that it um, it is such a special, unique place, um, but it, it, it um, had had a real educational aspect, um, in that it held, um, and, um, uh, had many, uh, photography classes, um, all kinds of documentary photography classes or social, social documentary classes and beginning photography and all kinds of things. And so it was this real educational space as well as an exhibition space, uh, where photographers could exhibit their own photos, um, and had critiques, constant critiques in salons um, that were kind of legendary where um, Beaumont Newhall and Ansel Adams and Elizabeth McCausland, Brandy's Abbott, all of these bigger kind of names would come. Um, and um, I'd like to imagine Marion you know, learning a lot uh, within the Photo League and taking classes and exhibiting her work. And I believe she was actually a secretary for the Photo League during World War II when so many of the male members had left. And the League is unique too in that i mean it's it's debated but over a third of the membership was women uh which was pretty large for that uh, pretty large significant amount of of members for that time period particularly we're thinking 30s into the 40s and then palfi um you can tell in, in this incredible book suffer little children that's published in 1952 that's a result of her uh, three-year um time spent uh, traveling the United States, um, where she was supported by, I think, a Rosenwald Fellowship, um, where she studied the plight of children in the United States, the impoverished conditions, the poor educational facilities, um, uh, lack of governmental support, any sort of social programs, um, and travels all throughout the country, looking at all types of ethnicities and races and religions to to look at this plight of children, Um, and this is particularly of course you know just after the war just after the depression which seems to have never ended and and you know it's looking at these images are so relevant today um as these issues are have never left the country and are Mm -hmm. you could argue many things about um and i think it's uh it's you know, in my own research, looking at this book and thinking there's a, a quite this kind of through line between looking at some of these FSA books, um, you know, Dorothea Lange and other works, um, and, and how, and Palfi's kind of continuation of this conversation and this even more, um, I think kind of affecting and arresting and, um, uh, direct, um, kind of photog- photographic style as, and also her use of, of text is, is really um, important into her message mm-hmm. um, and, and since we were talking about McCausland too um, there were uh, the Photo League would host um, also uh, they had many events and conversations and were really thinking um strategically too, about publishing photo books and how photographers could sort of use that to their advantage. Um, and as a, like a way to potentially make money, but also spread their work and, and thinking about this importance of sequencing and narrative, which we mm-hmm. seem to continually come back to in this conversation, mm-hmm. that the photographer could be in some ways in control somewhat, um, of, of telling that narrative. So mm-hmm. it's, um, Paul Fee's,
0: education is certainly based within thinking of her work as, as a book. I, I think you could, argue. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is interesting. And I love talking to people about that in terms of thinking as a book, as an exhibition, I think that's another expanding area that we're in um, mm-hmm. at the moment. Um, I was thinking of a few, thank you for that. And it's, I, I'm, Now you've got me needing to go further into photo league research and understand that is. um, I should
2: say Ann -Ann Tucker, um, who was at the MFA Houston, Mm -hmm. he was like really the the scholar that really started, um, started this work. um, Mm -hmm. And I'm just trying to to
0: continue
2: as well as many other um, scholars too. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. Wow. Well, it's very exciting. I was thinking again of what I got, uh, in terms of new information from this book was that idea when I read your section, it was, um, from f- ashes to family. And it was literally, you're talking about, um, uh, honestly, uh, nuclear war to the exhibition, the family of man, um, is the span of time. And then how, how we're grappling with different things, right? Like at that point where you mentioned, or at least I garnered, garnered from what you wrote about that we were looking to understand humanity and it was the aftermath of war and like putting our ourselves together in, and then thinking about the family of man seen by 9 million people touring 38 countries interesting to put that together with the idea of using the photograph to advocate for social change well the flip side of that is you can also use the photograph to instill certain ways of thinking being etc so Mm -hmm. it's really interesting to try to always be open to the flip side of these things and and Mm -hmm. I think this book really helped me do that the other thing I was going to bring up was these things that I didn't know about. Um, uh, a lot of these are from the 70s. I guess this all just really jumped out at me. I didn't know about the organizations uh, that have happened trying to basically knock on the door of expanding the stories. So, you know, there's so much collective action towards that. Um, I'm thinking of Where We At, which started as an exhibition of 14 Black artists in 1971. And they were calling attention to their marginalized status and it became... A collective, um, another collective, the Kombachi River Collective. Um, again, looking at intersectionality, class, sex, race, and this is a, again from the 70s. Oh. And I love basing things in what's actually going on. So in 1975, we have the UN First World Conference, the mm-hmm. International Women's Year, and we had 133 governments representing represented. And they did a plan to push out to 1985. And to think about that, that we have on the books things like the ERA in our US Constitution or this World Conference talking about human rights. And we still haven't fulfilled that promise at all 50 years later. Um, so, yeah, there's I think so much. If I could add,
1: um, just so, because people who are hearing us, don't have the visual of the book, and to to give them a sense, throughout the book, we had um, books that we highlighted with photographs and book descriptions, but we also ran a timeline of significant events, and some of what you're talking about comes from that timeline of significant events that were short little um, paragraphs Mm -hmm. on uh, events that were both feminist as well as publishing events that influenced the books that were being highlighted on the pages and influenced the time and under what conditions uh, women were producing and creating and telling their stories. Um, where are we at? Actually, is uh, the collective has uh, disbanded, mm-hmm. but we had um during Covid online salons, and we actually had uh, two of the members speaking about their activities. um there you know there are many books, you know particularly it was hard uh, to unearth uh, as many books from the continent of Africa as it was from uh, Western Europe. Mm-hmm. And in that we found an incredible book uh, by Cameroonian artist. Angel Etunde Isama, mm-hmm. uh, and the book was discussed in a spotlight talk at the Boston Anthenium, uh by Morgan S- uh, Snotes, I'm pro- pronouncing her last yeah. name, who is a who is a student at BU currently. And uh, this is a book that champions um, African women, champions their body, champions their power, and. Um, It is a traditional book format, and it is interestingly published in the Netherlands, but by a Cameroonian um, artist, so that it received distribution outside of Africa as a result of who published it. But beautiful black and white pictures that use texture of both fabric as well as women's bodies with stretch marks, pregnant, um, Mm -hmm. and just championing uh, a kind of more expansive, Uh, viewing of the African-American, the African body outside of what had previously been stereotypes Mm -hmm. to present that body. Um, And so throughout, we also have Carrie Mae Weems, two books by her within it, one that uh, covers the Gullah region in South Carolina and uh, Georgia. So we tried very hard to be quite um, expansive with the books that we found and included and um, there are always more to find and so we are keeping an ongoing list of the books that we didn't know about that have come to us since this project and part of this project by engaging graduate students as well as academic scholars to write the essays as well as the book descriptions was to open the door crack and encourage others to move forward and to discover things that we might have overlooked. Um, We're hopeful that this book does just that, that it encourages and um, inspires others to tell more stories that are hidden under rocks of women's involvement with uh, the photo book from 1843 onward.
0: Mm -hmm. And that that leads me to what I'd love to just touch on before we end, which is the reading room that happened at the Boston Athenaeum. Um, What I find so exciting is the educational component to 10 by 10 and the Boston Athenaeum, um, because it's so community-based. It's really allowing exchange Mm -hmm. that just broadens all of our understanding. So how would you like to both of you drop in and say something about that wonderful event. It was it was very special.
2: Yeah, so the, the reading room we were able to host uh, from March 2nd to the 4th, um, so just a couple weeks ago, um, and the reading room included 117 books, um, 85 of which were touchable and were out on tables that really encouraged visitors to peruse to look through to um, sit down on a bench and really spend time with um, and move around with as well Um, and um, they were organized chronologically and then sort of on the perimeter of the room um, we had uh, books in vitrines, so we had like uh, 32 rare books um, that needed to be, you know, protected under vitrines, and it was so hard to pick out which page we would leave open uh, for, <laughs> for the duration of the the reading room. And we were lucky enough to have a a couple spotlight talks also um, that focused on a number of those books. So thinking of ways to still activate the materials while it is, you know, protected in a case. Um, And we, you know, over almost a year ago um, Russet and I and Olga worked together to whittle down the list to think of like what books would make most sense in our reading room, looking at our collection and then also borrowing from from 10 by 10 as well as our uh, another collaborator which was mass art library um, particularly gabrielle reed was super super helpful um, as we kind of created and crafted the list um, and i, I would want to mention too that um, through this work uh, the athenaeum we were um, able to really like dig into our collections and kind of rethink What photo books we had and why and what books we think we ought to add to our collection and continue to add to the collection. I think it's probably not unique, uh, but we have many, many books by um, white, um, mostly American men um, and some incredibly gorgeous books that are really important to the history of photo books and also the history of, you know, the U.S., you know, thinking of Alexander Gardner's sketchbook. Uh, But do this project we were able to add a lot more circulating books to our collections as well as think of some kind of bare items and that's something that is really much on our mind and, and thinking through you know what what should be added and, and what can we tell through those histories and two as we were talking about that um rethinking certain albums we have in our collections these vernacular albums are sort of tourist kind of um Portfolios that we have, um, thinking of this one uh, fo- portfolio on wellheads that was made by Emma Fitz um, at the turn of the century. Um, and thinking of these as, like, we can really reinterpret these materials and think of them as um, telling larger stories. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways back to, back to the reading room um we were so excited to, to host this in our on our first floor in our, the long room so we were completely um, overwhelmed with books and we're also able to invite um, many area um writers, scholars, um, academics, photographers, and graduate students to give presentations of these spotlight talks uh, that Anne, having a, from the MFA, kind of really thought through uh, in our early iteration and, and have the space be filled not only with books, but also with conversations and, and talks and exploring the books. Um, and then we, we also hosted a panel conversation um, with Stephanie Tung from the Peabody Essex Museum, Kim Sichel from BU, um, Anne Havinga from the MFA, mm-hmm. and Harvey Silverglate, um, who is actually a, a Cambridge-based lawyer, um, who was is the, the widow of the incredible photographer Elsa Dorfman, whose book, her house book we had in, in the reading room. So it was offered many, many perspectives about kind of the history of women within photo
1: books. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Listen, listening to Lauren, it's, this is exactly um, our goal with each reading room to um, basically have an institution uh, re-examine its holdings and re-examine its community and to look at things that they probably already have that they didn't think of uh, to pull out from deep dark storage or they thought of in a different way. And each time we do the reading room, we launched this at the New York Public Library uh, with the Wallach Division at the main building at 42nd Street, Fifth Avenue in May. And then it went to um, from there, Amsterdam, to uh, a design space called Enter Enter for the Touchable Books and uh, the Rijksmuseum for the Rare Books. Each space is different. Each reading room space has a different selection of books because we purposefully, as Lauren said, work with the curators and librarians in that institution to see what they have that's already documented in the What They Saw publication pull that out, and then 10 by 10 will kind of supplement to fill in some holes so that you have a completely different experience in each location. But it also provides so much the aspect of supporting the community, encouraging it, and helping it grow. And I'm so happy to hear that Lauren's list of books for the Athenaeum to acquire is growing a bit as a result of this reading. Yeah. room. Uh, that's something that we encourage with every institution. We will be traveling to the Rena Sofia Museum in Madrid in early 2024. And we usually do about five uh, tour venues for the reading rooms. And then we wrap them up and uh, move on to the next project. So it's it's been incredible in Boston mm-hmm. because there is such a... A wonderful community, a photography community that is very supportive of one another and with such deep knowledge and to be able to um, tap into that and have those conversations, whether they be the formal conversations or the many small Uh, Intimate conversations that people have while looking at a book together, that is really the goal of what um, 10 by 10 has in terms of promoting uh, a wider discussion about photo books globally.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, it's I was delighted to partake in it as a spotlight um speaker. Um I did uh I spoke on Donna Ferrado's book, but mm-hmm. the other women that were speaking, three of which I've had on my podcast in this artist talk series, um Billy um actually Mandel was talking on her book, so she was part of the photo book. Uh, group series, and then hearing new people, uh, Lisa McCarty, and and the take that she introduced me to someone I had not been aware of, and then her particular um, observation of that person's work, she shared her interpretations, and it spoke personally in the sense that um, before she spoke about the, she she spoke about what she thought the um, intention and concept That the photographer was grappling with, Um, I'm trying to remember. It was Nell. She she spoke on Nell Dorr. Yes, yeah, Nell Mm -hmm. Dorr, and that she commented on um, loss and and grief and amongst many other things. And afterwards, I was saying to Lisa, "Thank you." As I'm looking through the book and really responding to some of the imagery, like, "How did I never see this before or know Mm -hmm. this person?" And another woman that had been. just in the reading room, a member um, or someone from the public sharing about her own recent loss and what she was doing to scrapbook about that. And so I think we cover so many bases here in the sense that we're touching on very um, important and uh, areas of trying to reinterpret our history, but we're also getting all of this new relationship, um, an active relationship, like in real time, uh, which is so exciting. And to think that these people whose books we're looking at could be a hundred years old, but they're activating so much life and community and communion with them, uh, still. So, probably part of why we so love <laughs> photo books. Um, mm-hmm. and, and lastly, I just wanted to, to say if you have any, you let us know, um, some of where the next reading room's going to go. And, and I understand then that per project you, you, you give yourself five reading rooms to create and establish, and then you're on to your next project correct? it's like lots of moving parts. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: We've, we've had so far three reading rooms for what they saw Mm and, um, we're looking forward to the the new ones and they'll be completely different. And we too, Olga Mm -hmm. and I will learn something from each one of them, but I guess I wanted to end the, my comments with one of the things I think that is so interesting about, um, all of the books that we've encountered in this project is that people tend to say, you know, what makes a photo book by a woman distinctive? What makes it different? And I think that that's a very dangerous, um, road to go down. I think it's very important to kind of see that women like men, like, uh, Anyone else will choose uh, many different topics, and there's a plurality to the subjects that they cover, and there's also a plurality to the distinctive way that each one as an artist and photographer addresses that topic. And I think if I can leave uh, your audience with anything, it's that we have to be open to that bounty to that to that diversity of all those different voices. And that hopefully at some point in the future we no longer have to make a reading room that's just about women mm-hmm. or non-binary or or some subsection. And that we can just talk about photo books and automatically that is a very inclusive discussion. And we don't even have to think twice about it.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, and underscore. And I think Mm -hmm. there was actually something written in one of the books. Uh, I'm looking and can't put my finger on a note about that, but very much this idea that these are all human stories and every story is valid. And it's not necessarily tied to uh, an identity that makes that valid. So yes, yes, and yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's just that we want to um, expand our knowledge of all that's contributed to it so far. Mm -hmm. Um, So thank you. Thank you both for all that work. And thank you for sharing your knowledge today and and i i look forward to just more collaboration and sure. more sharing of this it's exciting
2: And if I could plug um, some upcoming exhibitions at the Athenaeum, we have Um, opening April 6th. We have a photo show um, on the Great Boston Fire. It's called Revisiting the Ruins, Mm -hmm. um, the Great Boston Fire of 1872, which has incredible albumen prints and stereo cards um, that look into the fire as well as this larger history um, sort of um, of the ruin. Um, and then in August, August 28th, our next exhibition uh, is called Developing Boston. Bernice Abbott and Irene Schwackman photograph a changing city. Um, and that looks at um, these two different photographers, um, portraits that they made of Boston, one in 1934, the other um, throughout the 1960s, and focusing on this sort of evolution of the city of Boston and this idea of kind of renewal. Um, so we're really excited to, to I continue thinking, um, and this will also look at some of the photo books uh, produced by those two women. So we'll always be thinking
0: of photo books at the Athenaeum. So. <laughs> yeah, exciting. So great. Thank you so much. Thank you. This was really
1: a pleasure to be able to talk with both of you uh, this morning.
0: <laughs> Thank you for joining us. We so appreciate when you take the time to rate, review, and follow our podcast. We love listening to your feedback, and I'd like to share with you a recent review called An Invaluable Listen for Photographers. Every episode of this podcast is almost guaranteed to spark inspiration. The questions Sib prepares for her guests open up the conversation fully and candidly allowing for photographers and artists alike to share their strategies and creative processes with listeners. If you're looking for some creative drive in the form of fun and intriguing conversations, look no further. Thank you so much. We look forward to hearing from you and with being together again on our next episode.